0: Today's reading is Matthew 818 to 34 When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. This is God's word.
1: Well, good evening. Let me add my uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller, Senior Minister here. Lovely to, uh, to see you. If I haven't met you, it would be uh, great to be able to do that uh, afterwards. Uh, welcome back, those back from holidays and the like, those back to study, about time too. Well done. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Father, we, uh, we pray those words we've just heard. Would you open our eyes to uh, behold you clearly? Uh, many of us here would, would say our eyes have been opened to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and God. We know that's who the man is, but open our eyes more, we pray. Would you, in Paul's words, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to behold uh, the power that is at work within us, the power of Jesus Christ, his resurrection power. And, for others, would you open our eyes, perhaps even for the first time, to quite how extraordinary this man is, and how wonderful it is to know him. We ask for your glory's sake. Amen. Why, um, why pay the cost of following Jesus Christ? Why would you do that? For, for some who may be weighing it up, whether to become a Christian or not, why pay the cost? For those who, who are Christians, may have been Christians for a long time, why why do you do that? <laughs> why do you keep following him? I mean, there's a cost, isn't there? I mean, maybe not extreme for us uh, in London. Gosh, if, you, if you're in Nigeria, Indonesia, the cost may well be your life. It may well be your life uh, tonight. For us in London, the cost is, is not that, is it? Um, it may cost us a little bit of uh, uh, mockery. Uh, believe those things? Oh, dear. <laughs> But it'll certainly cost us at some point, or in an ongoing sense. Um, if we want the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom to grow, then, then the kingdom of self has to shrink. It has to. You can't want both. If we want the kingdom of God to grow, then it will cost us our own little kingdom, the kingdom of comfort, maybe, of ourselves. We'll have to shrink a little bit. Um, as we give money to the work of Jesus Christ, it will shrink our budget uh, a little bit. As we give our time to serving other people, that, that will shrink uh, what, what, what we've got left a little bit. I suppose we, we, um, we give up a little bit of uh, our career. We could have gone a little bit further, but we decided actually, no, uh, here's a good level because then I've still got time to serve others. And I know to push on, well, that, that time will go. There's a cost. You might think, oh, i live in a smaller house in order to, to stick involved somewhere. But well, there's a cost. If we want the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom to grow, there's a cost. The kingdom of self has to shrink a little bit. And um, if you've never realized that, or if we've perhaps forgotten that, Jesus wants to remind us of that, that actually following him, it is costly Actually, he he may be demanding a little bit more than perhaps we'd remembered or realized. There's a cost to following him. And certainly he wanted to tell that to a couple of people we meet uh, here in Chapter 8. If you were with us last time, you know, uh, on Sunday nights then, we've started for uh, a few weeks then, looking at this block of Matthew's Gospel, 8 to 10. It's a a sort of fairly discreet block uh, within the Gospel. Um, And in it, really, the emphasis is upon the, the arrival of the king. Jesus Christ arrives in his world, and that sends out ripples. In in a sense, you said it's a bit like uh, a black and white world, and a man comes in color, and everything he touches slightly illuminates. Uh, It's a frozen world, and he comes and melts the ice, and he warms it up. When the king comes, he makes an impact and a difference, and and the kingdom starts to to go out uh, in these uh, little encounters we see. And so last time we saw some very exciting miracles of uh, Jesus healing a whole variety of sick people. And clearly at the time, there must have been some sort of growing excitement of what's going to happen next. And so in our little passage tonight, Jesus says, well, just calm down. Just make sure you realize quite who I am and what I'm asking. So you get these two men uh, come up to him, two men in particular in the uh, verses 18 to 22. The first then, verse 19, a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Which, if he didn't realize, is a bit of a, Poom. he's slightly deflating the man's bubble. I will follow you everywhere. Well, um, I've got no bed, or indeed house. Uh, you coming with me? <laughs> well, we don't know his answer. Jesus is not saying, "Oh, if you become a Christian, you have to be penniless or you have to be homeless." He's not saying that, but uh, he's just saying, for him, at that moment in time, it meant uh, he, he, was on he was on a mission. For three years, he was pretty set on his course, and everything else he would leave aside. And he's saying, "Oh, if you follow me, um, I'm asking for all of you the lot. That might mean you sell your house and go on mission overseas, or it might mean—I don't know what it'll mean." But he's saying, "I do want all of you. You do realise that. Um, I don't just want people who call me follower, call themselves followers. I want commitment." I read uh, last week that uh, uh, the average Premiership football fan, by which they meant someone who had signed up to uh, actual membership of a club. Um, so just saying, "I support Man U," doesn't work. But um, uh, on any level. Um, uh, So they'd signed up for membership of a club. Uh, On average, they spend 800 hours a year following their team. Uh, 15.3 hours a week following their team. That is, traveling to matches, watching the matches, reading about them afterwards, uh, surfing the Internet for details. 15.3 hours? That's... So, I mean, that's two days' work for some people's job, one day's for others. But um, uh, that's, where, do you, where do they fit that in? That's crazy. That's dedication. That's commitment to, well, some very talented young men who may have dubious morals and occasionally will give you moments of enormous excitement when you win 1-0 and then often slightly disappoint you. I mean, that's enormous commitment for, for that. Jesus is saying, yeah, he's not saying that, he's not saying look at the premiership, he, they weren't around. But uh, commitment, that's what I want from you. Oh. Uh, the second one comes along and, uh, I don't know, follows up on that conversation. So verse 21, yes, I'm up for that. Uh, I'm up for following you. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. I'm coming, but I've just got to honor my family, first of all, before I do that. Jesus replies, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. That is the, let those who are spiritually dead, not believers, follow those who are physically dead, I think is the best meaning of it here. Blunt, a bit abrupt, isn't it? Now, be careful, of course, um, Jesus is not saying here it's never right to bury uh, a relative. Uh, remember, I mean, if you hear here, uh, 18 months or so, when we looked at... Um, some of his shocking statements in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does this. He's not writing uh, a constitution or or laws to go in a book. He's preaching to people. He's wanting to grab hold of them and saying, do you get my point? So just as uh, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, he'd say, well, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He doesn't mean that literally. You've still got a left eye and a left hand. Is the right inherently more sinful? I don't think so. Not at all. Uh, he's just making dramatic statements to get his point across, and just so here, it, you know, it's, it's a, of course bury your relatives in, in the normal scheme of things. But he's saying his point is, you you can't have anyone ahead of me. I must be your priority. Now, how that works out in different situations, okay, okay. But I must be your priority. There's cost. Says, oh, it'll cost if you follow me. Why do we bother? Why would you bother? Well, the other couple of instances uh, give you, I think, uh, give us uh, a sense of why, why it might be. Yes, our comfort will diminish. Yes, the kingdom of self will have to shrink for the kingdom of God to grow. But Jesus, it is worth it. And uh, here is. Um, gives a couple of reasons, a couple of incidents, which show why that is. The first, then, is uh, this maybe well-known incident that he calms the storm. Verses uh, 23 to 27. Why pay the cost? Well, the first thing, Jesus calms the storm. Okay, uh, maybe a familiar story. It's uh, told uh, more briefly here in Matthew's Gospel than it is uh, elsewhere in Mark. Uh, Jesus. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm, a great storm, literally, came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Okay, time to cross the river, says Jesus, or uh, the, uh, the sea. Now, today, if you've been out there and some would have done you can get a nice ferry across the Sea of Galilee. Nice, safe, secure, steam-powered, not steam-powered, um, that diesel-powered, uh, but big, secure, you know, you're, you know, no harm's going to do you. They would have been in small fishing boats just over a meter deep. Uh, about a metre and a quarter uh, deep would be the standard fishing boat at the time. No sail, perhaps, uh, perhaps just uh, oar driven So these are small boats they are crossing the, uh, the sea. Now, I'm no Ellen MacArthur by any stretch, but um, I wouldn't have really fancied this when the great storm blows up. But, of course, these are experienced fishermen. This is what they've been doing all their lives. Uh, these are men with... You know, these are solid men with calluses on their hands and scars on their face who would mock land-lubbers like me. Um, They're men. They're fishermen. So they'll be all right, won't they? They've seen storms before. Well, when the storm blows up, what happens? Verse 24, Matthew is pretty succinct. A furious storm, a great storm came on the lake, so that waves swept over the boats. This is clearly dramatic for these sort of fishermen to get upset. So I don't know if you've seen these sort of films, but you know, The Master and Commander or A Perfect Storm. So it is, you know, the wind is, the wind and the rain, the rain is lashing down and someone's trying to man the wheel and it breaks and the, uh, the sail sort of slaps into someone's face. One man's gone overboard, ropes are whipping around and the sea is up and it's down and it's up and it's down. That's right. It's a great storm, enormous. It's a mega storm, sort of literally, is what's going on here. This is not the normal Uh, Half the crew are being sick over the side. They've never seen anything like it, even though they're uh, fishermen of experience. And where's Jesus? Oh, he's having a sleep. He's having a sleep. Jesus was sleeping. Not that he's exhausted and sleeping below deck. I say these are small boats. He's asleep in a storm. Now, I'm a deep sleeper. I'm a very deep sleeper, particularly when children are screaming at night. I can sleep through anything. Um... (laughs) And I'm a very deep sleeper, but actually throw a bucket of water over me. That would wake me up. Please don't. But um, uh, that would do the trick. The the waves are crashing over the boat, verse 24, and still he's sleeping. Not just exhausted, but just in control. Nothing to worry about. He's got no anxieties. He's asleep. He can see there's nothing to do, nothing to disturb him. And the disciples should have known that, too. So, of course, they, but they say, Lord, Lord, um, save us. We're going to drown. Now, I'm sympathetic to these men. Um, I get on one of those sort of static boats on the Thames and think, dear, oh, dear me, have I had a few drinks? No, it's just I'm on a boat and I'm, you know, I'm not very good, very good on them. I would have been pretty terrified. But these are fishermen. And this is what they do. But They're scared. So imagine Jesus probably gets up and addresses them with some disappointment, verse twenty six. Why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Why are you afraid? No reason to be. No no reason. No reason to be afraid, says Jesus. There is no problem here. So what does he do? Verse twenty six, he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. Very simple. Shut up, calm down. Now, I guess by the standard of the time, if you wanted to tell an impressive story, the sorcerers would have done something dramatic. You know, they would have sort of rolled up, right, here we go. You know, ooh, alakazam or, or something. Jesus, no, shh, just nothing. Just be quiet. Sit down. He rebukes them. Now, I don't know if you try rebuking many things. I, I sometimes do. I rebuke my computer when it doesn't work. I rebuke the weather when it's disappointing. I've tried rebuking my wife, and that is never a good thing to do. <laughs> uh, you never get away with that. But rebukes only work if you can, contr- if you have authority or control over something. A uh, silly example. Many years ago, when I, when I was a school teacher, I used to teach in central London and uh, get the tube in every day. I quite often saw some of the boys from the school I was teaching at. And uh, this is a fairly typical day, so a carriage full of people with, um, you know, with their barriers all up. And, um, uh, but then these two lads were making a huge amount of noise And uh, from the school where I taught. In fact, I taught them both. And uh, very rowdy and loud and sort of pushing one another and you know, people's barriers were being disturbed a little bit. And you know, well, that's, that's, that's awful on the tube uh, if that happens to you. And they were swearing. Um, but I caught their eye and said, you two, stop it Now. And of course, it was marvelous because everyone in the carriage looked at me. Oh, very smart. <laughs> very good. Very good. And uh, you know, I was quite pleased with myself. Uh, I tried to look nonchalant. You know, it's funny, you know, I, don't, you know I, I always sort out the youth on the tube. Um, because it, you know, there was a reason they listened to me. I had authority over them, and they knew it. Now, if I try that today, I tried it uh, uh, fairly recently, about a couple of weeks ago. Again, the slightly larger crowd of, of four lads making a huge amount of noise. Everyone's sort of slightly looking at them. Uh, so I said, fellas, fellas, there are other people here. Would you mind calming down? And um, their response was somewhat unrepeatable. <laughs> Shut up, you. And no one was very impressed with me uh, at all on that occasion. See, a rebuke only works... If you have authority over someone, that's how it works. So Jesus can say to wind and rain, you two, shut up, sit down. And they go, okay, straight away. They're like creatures sort of on a leash. Sit, and they do. Now, this isn't just a coincidence that it works this way. I mean, the wind, the wind could just stop, I guess, at that moment in time. But the waves, anyone who knows anything, you know, if you've got a big storm, a, a, a large storm, well, the waves will take hours, maybe a day, to calm down. And Matthew records this is a, it was completely calm. Again, literally, it was a great calm. So the great storm of verse 24 becomes a great calm verse 26 doesn't really come out in this translation but it's the same word The great storm becomes a great calm just, just like that Jesus absolute control that's not normal the disciples well verse 27 they're amazed what kind of man is this what kind of a man is this but Jesus is disappointed with them here oh you of little Faith. If I'm with you, you don't need to be afraid. Faith in me removes fear. That's what it does. This phrase, you of little faith, Matthew uses it uh, three other times, actually, in his gospel. Uh, back in chapter 6, you know, the classic teaching on um, anxiety. Don't be anxious. God clothes the flowers of the field. He, he gives the sparrows food to eat. Why would you be anxious, O oh, you of little faith? Again, faith or fear? Uh, Peter, uh, uh, chapter 14, Jesus is walking on the water. He says, Peter, come and have a go at this. Peter says, oh, okay. Gets out of the boat and starts doing it. And then he says, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And uh, sinks into the waves. He says, "Oh, you of little faith. Why are you... If you have faith in me, you don't need to be afraid. Faith in him should drive out fear of circumstances. Yes, says Jesus, I know it's an enormous storm, but I'm with you. Why are you afraid? So here's the first little thing. Why pay the cost of following Jesus? Well, he's God. I mean, that's a good reason. Follow him because he's God. He has control over the wind and the waves that God has. Uh, That's the primary reason here. But also I think Matthew is suggesting in this, um, follow him because in the storms of your life, with him, you don't need to be afraid. You can endure the storms without fear. You can endure the storm of unemployment, of illness, of bereavement of death but faith in him will allow you to face them without fear he's with you if you follow him so there's the, you know, there's the first reason why pay the cost of following Jesus well he's God and he'll give you the faith you need faith in him will drive out fear of your circumstances there's the first that's pretty impressive and the second well I it gets even more interesting. <laughs> why, second thing, then, he conquers evil. Why, follow, why pay the cost? He conquers evil. Verses uh, 28 to 34. Busy day, uh, as they often are for Jesus. So verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Okay. <laughs> um, there are a few things here, aren't there? Uh, one will be, uh, you may or may not m- notice this. Matthew says two men meet him. Mark's account of the same incident in Mark chapter 4 says one man met him. And it's the sort of thing where some people go, ha, ha, ha. look, the, gospel, the the Bible, full of contradictions. These two couldn't even get it right. Throw it away. Come on. That's not how we often record conversations. I went to a wedding yesterday. I could happily get home in the evening and say to my wife, oh, I caught up with Mark Fossey. Caught up with him yesterday. And uh, that was very enjoyable. You know, if she pushed me further... Was was his wife there? Yeah. Did you speak to her? Yeah. But not for very long. I mainly spoke to him. So when I say I caught up with Mark Fossey, of course that's what I did. But someone could equally say I caught up with two people. That's just things get recorded in different ways. Don't don't be surprised at that. Of course, with this sort of incident, the thing that uh, excites people more is, uh, oh dear, Uh, demons, (laughs) Uh, demon possession. Oh, how embarrassing. Um, how embarrassing that the people back then believed such things. I mean, goodness, if, if, only they, if only they were like us and enlightened and realized it was just an epileptic fit or a mental disorder, uh, it was a seizure of some kind. I mean, it's so embarrassing, those stories in the Bible. just shows they didn't really know what they were on about. You can't believe it all. Well, hold on. <laughs> just a couple of chapters back... Uh, you might want to turn to it. Matthew 4, verse 24. Matthew can distinguish between these things. 4.24, news about him, Jesus, spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, or epilepsy, same word, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. No. Oh. So they did know the difference between sickness demon possession, seizures. Matthew's, oh yeah, we we know that. We're not stupid, you know. So we need to be slightly careful before dismissing on those grounds. And this may or may not be helpful to say, I'm not sure, but um, uh, I checked up on one little, uh, the most recent survey I could find. Apparently in the UK, just about two thirds of people, 68% believe in some kind of God. Um, but less than a third believe in some kind of personal supernatural evil force. So two-thirds think, yeah, there's a personal supernatural good. Uh, less than a third think there's a personal supernatural evil. Now, for my money, I don't really understand that. Once you've said there is supernatural, why, why the difference? I mean, if, you, if there is a God, why would there not be an evil supernatural power? And of course, biblically, they're not, they're not equal. Jesus conquers evil. But once you've accepted there's a God, the idea that there might be malevolent spiritual forces, I, I don't think should be very surprising to us. Those are not Matthew's concerns. Uh, his concern uh, is uh, what the, uh, the demons say to Jesus. So verse 29. Oh, hold on, just at uh, verse 28. So two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Come back to the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. They were terrified. Disciples, terrified of a storm. These townsfolk, terrified of these demoniacs. They shouted, What do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, A couple of interesting things there, I think. The, first, the disciples say, Who is this man? Who is this man? What kind of man is this? Oh, the demons know. It's the son of God. They're, they're fully aware of that. And... Um, the second thing, which I think is strange, is they ask Jesus, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What does that mean? <laughs> they say, you've come early. You shouldn't be here now, Jesus. A bit like a, a parent of a, a small child going at lunchtime to pick their child up from school. Why, what are you doing here? Why have you come early? You're not meant to be here now. Have you come to, mummy, have you come to collect me before the appointed time? Why are you here? You're not meant to be here yet. It's a bit unusual. See, the, the Bible speaks on uh, a number of occasions. There is a time in the future when um, God will judge all evil forces. So all uh, demons or fallen angels will be judged and locked away. So 2 Peter 2, Jude verse 6. Revelation 20, would all talk about, about that time in the future. And the demons are clearly aware of that. But they're saying to Jesus, essentially, oh, this isn't fair. This is meant to be our time. Why have you come in our time? We're meant to be able to do what we want now. Why have you come early? This isn't your time. It's not the appointed time. What are you doing here? Have you come? What are you doing here now? So that... The kingdom of heaven is dawning. That's what's happening. So you see, the sort of thing that's going on here, that Jesus Christ, then, the king, he arrives on the scene, and this kicks up huge opposition, huge opposition. The demons saying, you, you're, not meant to, you're not meant to affect us now. It's meant to be in the future. What, what, you, you're, it's the wrong time. So I think you read this, and we should understand, this is unusual. This sort of activity that the demons display here, It's on account of the king arriving. It's not normative. Because he comes and they say to him, you shouldn't be here. That's why you get these extraordinary accounts of uh, uh, demons uh, uh, in the Gospels. You don't get them to anywhere near the same extent anywhere else in the scriptures. The king has come. Well, they soon get over their petulance, I guess. And verse 31, they start begging. Oh, okay. Well, now we're in trouble. <laughs> so first of all, they seem a bit petulant. Oh, son of God, if you come here to torture us before the appointed time, that's not right. And then verse 31. Oh, look, okay. If you drive us out, uh, send us into the herd of pigs, will you? And they do. Sorry, Jesus does. It's a strange request, it seems to me. Why do they want to go into the herd of pigs? It's not because they just need a new home because as soon as they get into the pigs, they just charge off the cliff and commit suicide. Um, So it's slightly odd. In truth, I don't think anyone really understands quite what. The best guess is they want to do something uh, dramatically evil for their last gesture. That may well be right. But Matthew's concern, I think, is the simplicity with which Jesus addresses them. Verse 32, go. It's the headmaster telling off the, the naughty boy, get out, get out of my office, go. Again, no, by by the standards of the day, they'd be expecting some dramatic amulet waving around their head, some great incantation. Jesus says, just go, just go. And they do. So obviously they do. Uh, Verse 32, they came out, the demons went into the pigs, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Now, of course, I I take it some of us uh, read this and think, oh, poor pigs. Um... What did they do wrong? I mean, I, you know, I like pigs. I like Winnie the Pooh. Piglet's quite sweet. Miss Piggy, I kind of had empathy with her when I was growing up. Um, what's wrong with pigs? You know, pigs, you know, what's, what's going on here? Well, I think, I think the first century they would have read this slightly differently. They wouldn't have thought, not oh, poor pigs. They'd have thought, yowzers, that's a lot of money. What a, that's a huge amount of money. All these pigs, that's a, that's a bloke's livelihood just jumped off the cliff. Oh, my goodness, what an extraordinary use of money. And I think that's the, you get that from the townsfolk and their reaction. So verse 34, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Oh, sorry, let me read from verse 33, I should do. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. They're healed. They're restored. That's good, isn't it? Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, please go. <laughs> Please go. Can you please leave our region? We're just, we're just a bit unsettled. You'd be, you've just cost that man a huge amount of money. Uh, we know you've healed these people. That's nice. But actually, we just prefer our pigs and our comfort and our money and our security. And you're just, you're just too unsettling to have around. We don't want you around, Jesus, if you're going to do those sort of things. We prefer pigs and money to seeing people saved and delivered. That's essentially what they're saying. Now, I don't know about you, when, when I first read this, you, I thought to myself, what are, they, what are they playing at, these townsfolk? I mean, they're just this is something extraordinary, and it's good, it's really good, isn't it? These people, these two men, their lives were a mess, and you were all scared of them and wouldn't even go anywhere near that road, and Jesus has sorted that out. Okay, you've lost some pigs, but no, no, we just, we just want our money. <laughs> Give us the money and security and stability, please. You're just unsettling Jesus to have around. But of course, ask yourself, what would you do if Jesus was walking around uh, first century London and uh, healed someone of something? but then sent the pigs, sorry, not the pigs, then sent the demons into your car which drove into the Thames. Oh, it was my car. (laughs) Um, Well, it drove itself, that was kind of weird. Um, Would you? Jesus, okay, Um, that's good, but if that's unsettling, and it's costing me money, and I'm not sure about that, thank you. It's just much easier when life is stable and there's nothing threatening towards me. But you come along, Jesus, and you upset everything. I can see what you're doing is extraordinary, but mm, no thanks. uh, Actually, for me, that felt slightly closer to home. Not sure I want this sort of level of disturbance in my life. But Jesus is not safe. (laughs) Uh, The people, they got it slightly wrong. So do we prefer money, stability, to a saviour? I wonder, sometimes. Quite easy to make that mistake of townsfolk. And I guess we'll do so unless we realise, in a slightly different way, but unless we realise we need deliverance. Now, demon possession, that is right at the end of the spectrum of evil. Uh, that is not normal. That is not to be encountered in uh, on any sort of frequent basis. It's at the right at the end of the spectrum. But come a long way back from that, and it's just sin. It's just rejection of God. Uh, and that's true of all of us. And in that sense, well, all of us need Jesus to rescue us, to deliver us. I think Matthew is making a a, a little point here. He's wanting us to see in this incident a shadow of what will take place upon the cross. So here in Matthew chapter 8, two demon-possessed men come out from the tombs and Jesus restores them. Do you remember in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, his account of the crucifixion? What happens when Jesus dies? The temple curtain is torn in two and... The dead rise up from the tombs. It's the only times he uses the word in the gospel. Matthew saying, "Look, in this, Jesus delivering people from the tomb, you just see a shadow of what he'll do on the cross when dead people will rise from the tomb. That's a deliverance that all of us need from a spiritual death to spiritual life. Just a, just a little picture. I just think Matthew's just saying, are you paying attention? Do you notice that? But here's a deliverance that all of us need, not from demon possession, but from our sin. We all need that. Why pay the cost? And there is a cost. Why increase the cost? Why give ourselves to paying the cost? Why shrink our kingdom of comfort to see the kingdom of God go? Why do that? Well, Jesus is God. He comes, he came and walked on earth, and he demonstrated that. He's God. Oh, he'll give you the faith that will conquer your fears. But perhaps most important of all, he'll deliver us. He'll deliver you from sin for life. So pay the cost. Follow him, he says. Last thought, I don't know if you noticed the irony It struck me, the irony of uh, uh, these two incidents. Both of them, it's kind of the same. You get um, uh, uh, the sailors, they're terrified. Jesus takes away the source of their fear, the storm, and they're terrified of him. (laughs) Uh, These townsfolk, they're terrified. No one goes and walks along that road because they're all scared of the demons. And Jesus removes the problem with the demons, and they're terrified of him. And in one sense, I'd I'd suggest... That is an entirely sensible response. If you met face to face a man and you were utterly persuaded he had power over all creation, he had power over evil, he had power over your life, what would you do? Now, if you weren't reconciled to him, you'd panic. You'd be scared of him. But if you knew him, if you put your trust in him, if you loved him and knew that he loved you, that's a pretty wonderful encounter that we'll have. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, these are... uh, extraordinary stories to our ears um, and that's because we don't see the Lord Jesus walking around. We don't see the King walking on this planet. But we thank you for their record. We thank you that in them we can see that here is a man who was God. And we can see in them that uh, his power is extraordinary. He is one we can trust in our storms and know that his faith in him will drive out fear. He's one we can commit our lives to Not chasing after security, not preferring our our money and stability, but recognizing that in him there is a power that saves, a power that delivers. So, Father, recognizing who he is, what he's done, would we be willing to pay an even greater cost to follow him? Amen. Now, these are slightly unusual stories, I think. Um, so I wonder if anyone wanted to ask a question publicly. Okay, that's a great question. Uh, what, would you, what would your advice be when you start resenting the cost? Uh, I don't think there's any, anything particularly mar- marvelous I could say. Uh, I think, the, 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 in essence, the thing you do is consider the cost that Jesus paid. So when the cost is financial you think to yourself 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 though he was rich for my sake Jesus Christ became poor so that I may become rich he left glory in heaven to be killed by those he had made to suffer hell upon the cross for me so that I can be rich relationally and rich in the new creation okay I can be a little bit poorer for 70 years if the cost, you know, whatever the cost may be, if the cost is people, I am exhausted from serving people. Well, Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for me. He served me that way. I can serve people a little bit more. So I know nothing else apart from, when I, you know, when I'm exhausted, I sit down in the morning and think, I need to make my heart happy in the Lord. And I, I'm going to sit here and read stuff from the Bible until I remember he is a good God who's done extraordinary things for me. And I will force myself, even if I don't feel like it, to pray out loud and to thank him. And then when you do that, your resentment, you just feel a bit of an idiot if you're resentful after that. Um, So uh, self-mockery also helps, I think.